what if you don't like the way they smell? Or what if you had a fight with them over the script? Or what if you're like, ew, I don't want to kiss you at all. You know, I've sat across people who've come into me with pink eye because they've been shot in the eye by ejaculation. If, you know, you can get herpes one because you kiss somebody or somebody sneezes on you on a bus. Come on. Alrighty, this week on Let's Talk About Sex, we are continuing a discussion we started about a fortnight ago on sex on screen. In particular, the idea that a lot of the time, many of us, and I think myself included, you unconsciously learn about whether it's like sexual health, um, pleasure in sex, or um, about the anatomy to some degree. You subconsciously learn a lot of that from watching a sex scene unfold on screen, whether that's in a TV show or in a film or if you're reading about it in like a pop culture novel or whatever. There's a lot that gets uh, shared that we unknowingly learn from. And Tanya and I, my formidable uh, (laughs) co-partner here, (laughs) let's talk about sex. Uh, I am, of course, talking about Tanya Coons, who is a sexologist and pleasure activist and all-around amazing person with incredible advice. We've been starting to unpack um, a little more about not only the dynamics that inform these depictions on screen, uh, essentially their problem areas in the last week, and we kind of came to a point in understanding and finding uh, intimacy coordinators. And I very much only had ever really heard of what an intimacy coordinator was because I happened to listen to a podcast by one of the actors from Skins, April Pearson, who was chatting with another um, colleague of hers on the show about their experiences working and filming. Um, They were on two separate seasons, but essentially the behind the scenes of the show. If you're not familiar with Skins, it's a UK uh, series that spotlights crazy, outrageous teenagedom, and it was lauded for its raw depictions of mental health, uh, teenagers having sex, and so much more. But what April really spoke about in this podcast that I found so, on the one hand, unnerving but also fascinating was that actually a lot of the actors in making the show had a lot of trouble and difficulty in some pretty uncomfortable moments in shooting, in particular uh, in shooting a lot of the sex scenes. And she talked about the rise of intimacy coordinators, which we're going to unpack today. <laughs> <laughs> now... Before we get into what intimacy coordinators are, Tanya, welcome. Thank you, Maya. Nice to see you again. And such a great topic to be talking about because a lot of us are spending so much time looking at screens right now as we're under lockdown. So it's it's good to be a little more conscious of what it is that we're absorbing. Yeah. Because uh, we learn a lot of things quite accidentally. We osmose them in from the society around us and we need to be really careful and conscious that we're not breathing in things that might contribute to oppressive behaviours or ideals or or people actually working under conditions that aren't really great for them to bring us this entertainment. Yeah, totally. I mean, it goes without saying Me Too really opened 
I don't want to say a can of worms because it's not a can of worms, but the Me Too movement has definitely changed so many things and brought as much awareness as possible to the film industry in front of and behind the camera. Um, and there is a much more fo- heavier focus on safety for actors and crew across all stages of production at the moment. So we're going to dig into what an intimacy coordinator is, what they do, and some. we'll share some links with uh, intimacy coordinator organisations from Australia that you can follow up with if you're interested in reading more. Essentially, Tanya, the role of an intimacy coordinator is basically what? That of a stunt coordinator, but for those intimate scenes in films, yes? Yeah, they're, they're basically, they're, they're kind of like the grown-ass adult on the set, yeah? They're going to make sure that they take a look at the script and they look at the risk in the script, so they analyse what's going on, what's the risk. They're going to look at some troubleshooting advice processes for getting things from the script into real life. And then they look at um, talking to producers, directors, actors, anybody really that's going to be involved in the scene to make sure that the content comes across with consent, with the correct artistic vision, because I know that there are a lot of producers and directors out there that are like, no, it's got to look like this. So we're trying to keep, they're, they're trying to keep everybody happy. But the most important thing I think is that they are going to be responsible for the implementation of safe protocols and procedures, right? So they can sculpt the scenes, they can be there at rehearsals, they can supervise on the set, they can advocate for actors or producers or directors, and then they can do a post-production debrief, which I think is also Mm. important. Sometimes folks are like, yes, 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 I can do this kind of scene, and then afterwards they're like, wow, that's kind of knocked me about a bit in the emotional department. And having someone like an intimacy coach there for a debrief can be super useful. Mm, Yeah, I mean, I guess they're more than just someone who chaperones. That point you made about them being an advocate for the actors to be able to represent them uh, to the director or the writer I think is so important. I mean, it goes without saying there's a pretty big power dynamic between a, a crew and production team that sometimes I can imagine some actors would just feel like a body that's being manipulated by a group of people and being told what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Even things like having a closed set, you know, I think that's that's much more recent than mm. used to be. It used to be that anybody could just kind of saunter in and check out the naked actors doing the sex scene and have a bit of a tear in the background. And that's really not what folks who are kind of pushing their level of comfortability or wanting to do a good job in the acting whilst maintaining their own integrity, safety and, and consent boundaries as well. Yeah, It's very complicated. So the less people around to um, contribute to distraction, the better, I think, for that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's really good that they're having people on board that are trained in this area and that can really advocate but also troubleshoot because sometimes folks think, yep, we've thought, we've thought this all through, we've got it, our consents, it's all really good. And then the intimacy coordinator could be like, hmm, have you thought about the power dynamic here? You know, has that agreement really, is that really coming from the actor's heart or um, informed knowledge or do they feel like they have to do that in order to keep their job or to keep the producer happy? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's... It goes without saying that just because you're watching a sex scene unfold on TV, it doesn't necessarily mean the people behind the screen are necessarily engaging in that activity. I want to say uh, 
traditionally yeah. uh, with some air quotes in there. But yeah, I often wonder about that. Like, what if you don't like the way your co-actor or your your online love on screen love affair person? What if you don't like the way they smell? Or what if you had a fight with them over the script? Or yeah. what if you're like, you, I don't want to kiss you at all? Um, you see all of this stuff, and I, I just I'm perpetually curious about how people pull that stuff off. Now, Tanya, I think it's also had a pretty big impact on the way that shows are not only filmed but also written and really been a catalyst for those writers and people behind the scenes who are putting things together to really consider everything that's involved in putting a sex scene together. You can see it in that new season of Sex Education, which has just come out, and I think people are really responding to what feels like a more progressive portrayal of sex and sexuality. You're a big fan of sex education. (laughs) What do you think it is about the show that feels so new or that people are really drawn to? Uh, do you know what? I think we're not, it's not sugarcoating sex or making it a, a soft focused fantasy. It's kind of showing real issues that are faced by kids in high school and it portrays them as curious and in charge of their bodies and wanting to have positive sexual experiences, which, you know, I don't think we get to see this very often. It's normally, you know, sort of awkwardness or unconsensual stuff. Um, but better still, it's answering all of these, the questions that are around these things. So while I don't think it's 100% nailed every issue or every question, because I don't think any show can, it's really doing a good job of raising awareness of the need for pleasure in sex education, of highlighting how little folks understand anatomy, discussing gender and sexual orientation, uh, and discussing the need for communication. It's doing such a great job of addressing the shame that is associated with sex and calling out the kinds of behaviour that encourage stigmatisation and shame around people's sexual ideas, orientations, attitudes and beliefs. Mm. I mean, I think it also feels educational You because... Mm. It's, as I was saying before, giving that thought, extra thought is being put into everyone's minds in putting everything together. Do you think it's also led to the start of a trend amongst TV and film producers who are writing about sex to base that on research instead of tropes that they've probably also learned from TV or from film? Um, I was so excited to see um, some of the books that I use referenced in sex education. One of them was, you know, just talking about um, you should read Kamasiwa by Emily Nagowski. And I was like, yes, this is what we want to see is the promotion of good reading material and good sources of information. So I do think that things are starting to head that way. Um, It still feels as though people are taking the lead based on what's circulating in the media or social media. Um, so there are there are definitely inclusivity hot topics. Uh, I think things are sort of trending, but um, I think also that's just like, you know, there are some diseases that the media find sexy and they'll support and report on those and then other ones don't get the airtime. So there are popular issues. So like it's very popular right now to be doing inclusivity on the basis of gender and race 
that sort of thing. And I'm starting to see that there, we're seeing more people covering disabilities uh, lines, which is really great. Um, and it's really freaking good to be able to see everybody getting sexy on screen these days. I've seen a couple of really great sex scenes with folks in wheelchairs in shows recently and also seeing shows like Love on the Spectrum. Really great to see that stuff online, uh, on air, I should say. So my feel is that the producers are really going to need to start engaging qualified, sex-positive, trauma-informed, consent and sex-positive trained consultants for each of their shows if they're going to be covering stuff like this. And it's good to see it's being folded in. You know, we can we can always pick fault, but I want to have a nod at how far things have come because I think 10 years ago so many people couldn't see themselves up on the screen or represented in any way. And now there's a lot more content up there that's showing folks of all shapes and sizes, genders, orientations, expressions um, up there and having a great time. Yeah, I mean, I think you can also see as well on the like reality TV side of this too, I think the trend has really changed a lot to, well, from a bit more like embarrassing, shameful, inducing um, depictions of an STD or about someone's physique and adding sex to essentially like the premise of a program, whether that's, um, I I can't remember the name, but there's some TV show in the UK where essentially uh, people get in a room and you check out someone naked before you go on a date with them and you're essentially deciding who you want to go on a date with based on how someone's body looks like or those um uh what are they called those transformation shows where everyone is either depicted as this like scruffy uh, unkept person that get totally redone and presented as quote unquote much beautiful than what they were before to to now it i think it's actually changed quite a lot as well with programs like embarrassing bodies or the sex clinic which are actually taking those shameful depictions of getting herpes or any sort of like sti std making it a much more i think what's been so good is that the impression that it instills on people is less about oh, shit, like, I've got this terrible thing. I cannot tell anyone about it. How am I going to get this treated? How am I going to get this sorted? This is so embarrassing to actually presenting the alternative of you can get this sorted really quickly. It happens to a lot of people. It's completely normal. Absolutely. Your genitals are just one part of your body. You know, they get sick too. Everywhere else can have a skin condition. You know, I like to talk to people and say herpes is a skin condition. That's what it is. It's not a death sentence and it doesn't make you a social pariah. It's other people stigmatising you because you got it because you had sex. If, you know, you can get herpes one because you kiss somebody or somebody sneezes on you on a bus. So it just, there are lots of things. And, I mean, we're now living in times where we're afraid of everybody because we could contact a deadly disease just by being in proximity to somebody. It's actually... I think helping us understand a little more. It doesn't matter how you get things. It's it's how you treat it and and what it is. So if we can stop stigmatizing, you know, things that are transmitted sexually, because some things just work better being transmitted by body fluids. That's all it is. It doesn't mean because you had sex in a certain way or with a certain person 
that you're going to get this disease. There are some 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 sexual activities that make you a higher risk because there could be lesions in the body. But yeah, once again, shaming people for their sexual choices or partners uh, and getting an illness or a skin condition or, or something with their body that's a bit unusual isn't helping anyone. Right? I don't know why we shame people about their bodies. It's all the time. Not tall enough, not short enough, not fat enough, not wide enough, not curvy enough, not this enough, not that enough. I think the message we need to be putting out there is that all bodies are capable of pleasure. I don't think we could have this discussion without mentioning I May Destroy You, which is a recent Emmy award-winning show by Michaela Cole. It's got the Movies, Movies, Movies co-sign, and I think one of the most important things or the best scenes, uh, I don't want to say controversial because it shouldn't be, but it's definitely mm. one of the most talked-about points of this series is the sex scene where the main character is on her period and her partner pulls out her tampon and it's not played for humour it's not made to seem gross or intense. Instead, it's a bit more of a positive reflection of, or like suggestion that period sex is fine. Her partner in the scene does it like this, with this sense of care that makes the whole scene also feel way more intimate as well. Do you feel like, Tanya, people want to see these realistic portrayals of sex? I do. I think people need to see more realistic portrayals of sex. It's not necessarily want to, it's need to. So I can imagine that some folk would have been quite squicked out by that. But why are we shaming something that's a natural, normal part of some people's body functioning? This happens once a month to folks with vulvas. It's pretty straightforward. Why are we making a regular body function that's very normal something to be ashamed of? In, in my books, sex is a messy business. You know, I've sat across people who've come into me with pink eye because they've been shot in the eye by ejaculation. I've had people who've got black eyes because they've been kneed in the head while they're changing position. They've had injuries from falling off beds. They've got sexual issues or problems. People feel funny about noises, squelches, farts, messy business, making mess. We need to understand that sex is not glamorous and not airbrushed the way it's presented to us on the films, but it's messy, human, down-to-earth business and it can be a lot of fun and very pleasurable if we can just sort of get over the fact that other people are trying to shame us about our bodies and what they do. Yeah, I think that's that's totally right and it even goes on to what we were talking about before that last track about representation in media, that it's becoming increasingly uh, represented, I guess, um, is the best way of describing it, but not, not just trendy anymore. It's not in vogue to have representation. It's actually starting to become more meaningful and the people putting them together are giving those characters or these people or the groups who are missing in terms of representation on screen the I guess just as they deserve to have accurate storylines or storylines that don't have anything to do with those identities that they have either. It can feel pretty clunky at times, but it does 
I think have a big impact on when we see people who look like you, whether that's uh, another person of colour doing something in the same way, someone with the same disability that you might have, uh, someone with, uh, like you were saying before, depictions of sex with people who may be paralysed or how to make wheelchairs sexy like that. It's a massive thing that's happening and it's, I have no doubt in my mind, is overwhelmingly positive in the end in seeing that happen. What do you think about that role of positive sex being portrayed on screen has when we are talking about representation? I think sex positivity has always been about everybody having a right to sexual pleasure. So it doesn't mean they have to enjoy sexual pleasure because a lot of, you know, sex positive folks are like, you need to do all the things, you need to be kinky, you need to be this, you need to be that, you need to be non-monogamous. No, no, you don't. But you're, you're, you have a right, I think, to sexual pleasure. And so sex positivity promotes the idea that sexual pleasure should be available to everybody without shame and regardless of size, shape, orientation, gender or preferences. I think that's the, the, the thing to think about is that so my kink's not your kink, but that's okay. You know, I'm not into that, but I'm so glad you are. I don't understand people who screw up their nose and pull faces at other people's stuff because we're not all the same. And, you know, what might be unpleasant to us might be some person's absolute sexual nirvana and good on them. Good for you, I say. Have a good time. Knock yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I think also it really extends to queer storytelling as well. You have shows like Pose that have positive intimacy and love between people who are trans, queer, people of colour and HIV positive, In not just in relation to pain and sadness that's usually depicted. The characters are given agency um, and <laughs> our producer Jenna has called that hot <laughs> Yeah, it is hot. They, they are hot. You know, I've been trying to watch Pose for ages. I didn't subscribe to the right scenes and then lately I haven't had loads of time. I'm not a very good TV watcher, so I'm a bit behind. But um, I recently saw a fantastic clip where the main characters were in an exclusive club and some prissy white ladies who were lunching approached them and asked them to be quiet. And then the lead character just tore her to shreds. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is the best put down I've seen in ages. And people need to hear this sort of stuff, you know. I think her last sentence was, you know, we fought for ourselves at this, we fought for our place at this table and that's made us stronger than you'll ever be. Now pick your jaw up off the floor and go back to your clam chowder and shadow conversations. My girlfriends and I aren't going anywhere. Y'all okay with that? Right? I think that's a fantastic thing to see people standing up for themselves, but also we're showing that the people who would normally shame them and pick on them being put back in their place. That's not often shown. You, you sort of see this bad behaviour in programs or movies and then we all feel bad as the audience, but you don't see people coming back on them saying that kind of behaviour is unacceptable. Yeah. So I love Pose for that. So fantastic. Yeah. It also reminds me of, and I mentioned this last time, but I'm going to bring it up again because I think the way that they've handled some of these uh They've had some feedback in the way that they've handled a few of the storylines about their the queer characters in particular. But I think actually the feedback that's essentially shitting on the show, Gossip Girl, the reboot, is a reflection of people thinking that 
everything needs to be spelled out before any character is able to actually just like live a normal life. So there's one scene where one of the best friends of the main character is in a fight with her and to I guess let off a little bit of steam, goes to a bar, hangs out and it flicks over to um, a new scene of them at this bar and she's just making out with a girl. There's no addressing her sexuality. There's no addressing who this girl is. She's like quite literally just hooking up with this girl she sat next to just to take her mind off this fight she's having with a best friend. And then it cuts to, you know, the next scene, something else is going on. And I remember reading a bunch of people being like, oh, it's so pointless. Like, why are you queer baiting or da 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 da? I actually think it's the opposite. I think that stuff just happens. Yeah. It's happened all the time to folks. You know, do, does it require explanation, examination or introspection? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes sexual things just happen. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm, so many people come and see me and say, well, like, I had a, a same-sex thing. Does that mean I'm gay? Does that mean I'm this? Does that mean I'm that? I'm like, it, it is what you make of it. Maybe it just happened. You know, we're all a little flexible, fluidy in our in our activities over time it depends on where we're at and who we're with now before we wrap everything up for let's talk about sex today tanya do you have any other recommendations on shows or movies that you think are pushing the medium forward in terms of portrayals of positive intimacy um this is where i wish i watched a bit more tv because i hardly watched a lot of stuff until the pandemic rolled around but interestingly then for me after quite a gap in regular tv viewing i am seeing different representation i'm seeing a lot more bipoc folk on the screen and not just as side characters but as leads it's really good seeing in mainstream tv series queer love stories and sex scenes they're all there as part of it Right. So apart from sex education, one of the first things I binge watched was Claws on Stan. And this is a group of about five very diverse women working in a nail salon who accidentally get involved with the hillbilly mafia and then the Russian mafia and then the Haitian mafia and so it goes. But it's got solid representation of BIPOC, queer and disabled folks in that show. Everybody is sexy and fabulous. It's, um, it was an absolute and utter joy to watch and behold, and the series unpacked lots and lots of issues that wove their way into the storyline. So it was really great. And then even more mainstream programs like The Bold Type, which had three main protagonists in female forward stories, they're taking the time to investigate privilege in their storylines. So often the two white leads were running into their privileges and learning lessons, and then they had a, a, a queer person of colour doing other different storylines there. So it was really cool to see them addressing issues in different ways as well, not just popping people in to meet quotas or do things, but having having traditional characters that folks have, are used to seeing examining their privileges and the mistakes that they might be making or ideas that they have and not understanding why they have them. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you have a show that you think gives a brilliant portrayal of intimacy or a positive sex scene, we want to hear about it on 0409 945 945. Our producer Jenna says that Portrait of a Lady on Fire changed her life and was an absolute uh, hoot. 
<laughs> Text us in your suggestions. What should we get washing? We'll put a list up at fbiradio.com slash programs. That is where you can also listen back to Let's Talk About Sex in full or wherever you get your podcasts from. That's it for us, Tanya. I will see you here in a fortnight. Will do. I'm wishing all of our viewers some very happy, sexy viewing over the pandemic times. And I'm looking forward, actually, to hearing some recommendations from our listeners as to what is good to watch. Totally. 